Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield, and today's guest is Dr. Dawson Church, PhD's award-winning science writer, researcher, three best-selling books to his credit, The Genie in Your Genes, Mind to Matter, and he's about to release a book that I just finished a little pre-read on, got a little bit of extra pre-read on from him. It's called Bliss Brain, and it's going to be fascinating. It releases next month. And what I love about Dr. Church is Dawson, he has this unique ability to articulate what's going on in our brain from not just a neuroplasticity standpoint, but all the elements of our neurochemistry, our mindfulness, our consciousness, and how we can take control over how we can make our brain work for us as opposed to being a slave to the stresses of our life and the world around us today. Uh, Dawson also founded the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare. He's done amazing work and been associated with a lot, a lot of not just books and co-authors, but a lot of research on this subject as well. I think he's going to help us look at how we can perform to the maximum through a different lens today. So Dawson, welcome. Jeff, it is such a pleasure to be here on the Driving Change podcast, and I love the focus of your work, and I look forward to sharing. Thank you. Now, first of all, everyone's engaged because of the accent right away. It's not fair. I need to have... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. People think what you people think you're smart if you talk like this. It is. Yeah. When I try to talk like you, they don't think that. I, I don't know why they just don't think that. So, <laughs> well, welcome. And, and Dawson, let's begin where we begin with all of our guests. Let, let's get to know you a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your why. Why do you do what you do? And how did you become the the guru that you are today? Give us a little bit about your backstory. I, I'm really driven by what I do, and initially the techniques I teach and use. I used on myself, and they were my own effort to get myself out of the misery I was in. So most people, if you find, especially people in psychology, they begin having really severe personal problems very often, and then they're using and exploring tools from spirituality or psychology to try and extricate themselves. And one of the pivotal moments, uh, in my books, I don't talk a lot about myself usually, but in Bliss Brain, the publisher said, tell your story as well as the science. And one of the stories in Bliss Brain that I tell is when I was 15 years old, and I was with a group of of family members, and we were at at a hotel I was walking down the hallway of the hotel and there was a full length mirror and I stopped and looked at myself at 15 in in the full length mirror. And I saw this, this kid, a long, long, like curly brown hair halfway down my shoulders and, and a bell bottom trousers and a book bag over my shoulder. And I was dressed like a hippie. And I looked at myself in the mirror. I stared at myself and my self-talk, my thought was as I stared at my, own face, my self-talk was, that's the saddest face I've ever seen in my life. And I realized it was me and I had to do something about it. So I, I went to live on a spiritual community. I learned to meditate, learned energy healing. I began to study psychology, learned various techniques from gestalt therapy to psychodynamic therapy. I learned all kinds of things in an effort to improve myself and rescue myself from my misery. And I improved bit by bit by bit. I mean, I got a little bit better over the years and it was a long, hard slog. But eventually I made the commitment when I was 45 years old, and that was 20 years ago. I made this commitment 
one day I was in, I was struggling with various things. I said, I'm going to meditate every single day. And I began to meditate every day from that day onward. And within just a few months, everything in my life began to change. I then learned more energy therapies like EFT acupressure. I learned energy medicine techniques. I learned a group of therapies called advanced energy therapies. And when I learned those therapies, problems I'd struggled with for a long time really changed quickly, like in a few weeks or months. And then colleagues of mine, especially psychologists and psychotherapists, at that time it was 2001, 2002, 2003, and America was just getting the first batch of of warriors returning from Afghanistan and then Iraq, and they had PTSD. And my colleagues were saying, I've been using these energy tools with soldiers with PTSD, and they're recovering in, in three sessions, in five sessions, in 10 sessions. And I was really skeptical. I said, I, I know these tools are great. I use them myself, but uh, I mean, th there's no way. If I read the psychiatric literature, it says, that PTSD is a treatment-resistant condition. It persists over time. It usually gets worse over time, not better. And there's very little that we have in psychiatry or psychology that can affect it. There are very few success stories to do with PTSD. And going back to the Vietnam War, we still now, 35 years later, we have 450,000 Vietnam veterans with PTSD. So um, from, from that area, uh, people with PTSD many, many years later. And so I heard these stories about, I've treated this person with PTSD and they recovered. And then I did my first study on PTSD and it was like amazing. In just six sessions, these warriors were recovering from PTSD. Then did a huge randomized controlled trial, multi-site trial, found a 90% success rate in six one-hour sessions. And that just fired me up like nothing else, Jeff. I, I did that at first pilot study, did the full randomized controlled trial with a group of colleagues of mine, and we then realized we, we, we got passionate about bringing these people who were suffering. We realized that it doesn't take the 50 years it took me to straighten myself out, that in just a few sessions, five sessions, 10 sessions, you can have a big shift in your both your mental and physical health. So I wake, I wake up every morning, I meditate, I use EFT tapping, acupressure. I use other techniques on myself. I spend time in nature. I have about 30 of these techniques in my books. And I use these things myself. And I just don't suffer. I mean, right now we're in the middle of a pandemic. We've had a financial crash. And you, if you're centered, if you're anchored in what I call in my book's non-local mind. If you're meditating in the morning and you're centering yourself in, you know, in the news of the universe, I can I can tell you, I, I looked at the news of the universe today, and the news of the universe was the rose blooming outside my office, and the um, the purple finch in the bird bird feeder, and the news of the universe is telling me that basically everything is okay. Right. And so you're tuned to that news and you feel wonderful and you want to share that and help people not suffer in all those ways. So that's a long story, but that's my why. Well, that's great. And I think obviously we're all here for a purpose, right? And a lot of that, uh, we believe that everyone's purpose is to help someone else in a meaningful way, not just ourselves. And I think we can get hung up on conforming to the patterns of this world when we're really called to you know, renew our minds, right? Transform our thinking, but it takes conscious effort to do that, you've discovered a pathway to that. And, and the thing that I'm fascinated with is um, as you go through and you start to reflect back on your research, you start, we, well, here at Brain Trust, we really are big fans of combining biology with psychology and physiology. 
because we believe it takes all those modalities in order to really truly understand what's going on in the gray matter between our ears that can help us actually stop conforming to the patterns of the world and but be being transformed by renewing our mind. You've done that. So what are some of the discoveries that you've found really Reader's Digest version in the brain itself that most people don't have any idea how to control that you have found how to control? What, what's some of the actual mechanic, whether it's biology, psychology, or physiology, that most people are letting control them? Give us some of that. Psychology is physiology. And one of the most startling studies to do with that was published about a month ago to do with Alzheimer's. And the researchers looked at the deposit of beta amyloid plaques in the brain. And what happens in the brain, like in my book, Mind to Matter, I have images of Alzheimer's and you see neural bundles in the brain. And then you see this like sticky, gooey brown tar that's starting to get in the way and the neurons can't fire through it. That's beta amyloid plaques and they build up in the brains of Alzheimer's patients. Eventually they lose their memories slowly and they deteriorate and they die. And it's a pretty horrible death. So the researchers looked at the relationship of the growth of beta amyloid plaques in the brain to everything else in people's psychology and their lifestyle. And they found there was one factor that was more important than anything else in terms of the deposit of Alzheimer's plaques in the brain. And that was how optimistic people were. It was more important than smoking, obesity, lifestyle, where you live, what you ate, how you exercised. The number one thing, and this is a 30-year study, this is a long-term study of optimism, and then this Alzheimer's plaque study showed that there was a direct correlation between the buildup of plaques and negative thinking. Really? The more negative thinking, the more Alzheimer's plaques. So that's why I say that psychology is physiology. It turns into enzymes, turns into gene expression, turns into proteins in, in your bodies. And so um, that's what's going on in the, that's how, what you, how you think is shifting your body. But it's hard to think positively. It's hard to be an optimist. Like I talk to people, even in my community, and I, I've been training people in meditation and EFT and all these techniques for you know, 20 years, and, and, and people are still so captured by fear. And the, those parts of the brain, there are two, there's a pole in the brain. It's, there is a piece of important tissue in, in, behind your, your, your forehead over here called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. And it's, it teams up with another part of the brain called the precuneus and posterior cingulate cortex in the back of the brain. And these two pieces of important brain tissue are called the default mode network. And whenever you aren't doing a task, your brain defaults to lighting up the default mode network. And it does a number of things. It builds your sense of self. So I'm Dawson, you're Jeff. And so we know that because the, the default mode network is telling us that it builds our sense of self. You're wearing a light blue shirt, I'm wearing a dark blue shirt. We're thinking about the self, we're thinking about the interview, we're thinking about what we're saying. And so all of this is the self. But the default mode network, with its self-referencing, focuses on two primary things. One is threats to the past self, and the other is potential threats to the future self. And so we sit there, when we close our eyes to try and meditate or pray or think positively, instead, we start thinking about the bad performance review we got, the fight with our wife, our teenage daughter who wants to get a tattoo, all of these things. We start th obsessing about all the stuff, the stuff, the bad stuff from the past and the bad stuff that might happen in the future. And that's because our brains evolved 
to default to thinking about that since it was how our ancestors survived. If they thought really hard about the tiger that almost ate them 10 years ago and the tiger they might encounter outside the cave tomorrow, then they were more likely to survive. That's why our brain defaults to negative thinking. So it's really hard to change that structural wiring of the brain. And the good news is that we can change it and really quickly. In Bliss Brain, I have studies showing that in just eight weeks of practice, people can shift their brain function, and that in 12 weeks and 24 weeks and eight months and a couple of years, you can radically reshape the way the way your brain tissue actually is structured. So the good news is that in just eight weeks, re neural remodeling begins, and you can start to shift those habitual thinking patterns. Wow, what, what a perfect time for this message, right, in today's world, because the outside influences we're getting right now and being bombarded with, from the pandemic to the societal unrest, to, by the way, we're in a presidential election year, and we're all excited about both candidates every time. Uh, all of these negative inputs, only, we call it, what, what you're talking about with those polls, we call it self-preservation orientation. It only really activates that default network you're talking about, which puts us back into that fear mode constantly. And it doesn't allow us to do that if we're not mindful of it. So what are a couple of quick tips you can give us that it will help us recognize it and immediately pivot to something practical? Well, the quickest thing you can do is breathe. We're all breathing all the time. And no matter what threats there are out there in the world, either real or perceived, and by the way, most of them are only perceived, um, even the, the, the pandemic, you know, your chances of dying are statistically very, 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 very small. Uh, your chances of you know, having a huge economic um, problem are also fairly small. If you look at global wealth, for example, global wealth has tripled over the past 30 years, and that includes now this crash, the crash of 2008, the dot-com bubble of 2000, the 1991 recession, the 1998 crash, all of the, even despite all the stuff, global wealth, the average global citizen is three times as wealthy today as he or she was 30 years ago. So a lot of these worries are the, the, the real things. I mean, they're real problems, but they're not in the long view as big as we think that they are. So what I have people do is just return to the breath. You are breathing and that means you're alive. And that's the place to start. So that disengages you from panic. You know you're breathing. There is no real tiger in the room. I know I'm looking around my room now, not a single tiger, no reason to be afraid. I may as well breathe. So the first thing to do is simply breathe and say to yourself, focus on the breath. And a lot of the techniques I teach are physiological. Um, you know, we, you can go like one Iraq veteran who uh, he was a medic in, in Iraq. He was in the Battle of Fallujah in 2004 terrible psychological trauma from seeing people blown blown apart collecting members of his unit and 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 there were no they didn't you couldn't use body bags there was no body to collect i mean horrible trauma and yet this this medic was able to release his his complex ptsd with these really easy methods like eft like meditation just trying them a few times for a few hours and they made a real shift so there are bigger things you can do and more ambitious things you can do but the breath is the first thing just coming back into the here and now and if you look at all the successful methods for releasing ptsd like emdr again it's body-based like yoga therapy, body-based, qigong therapy, body-based, EFT, tapping on acupressure points or acupuncture, body-based, diaphragmatic breathing, body-based. All of these things 
keep you in your body. And the basic fact of your body is I'm breathing. Well, okay. That's great. And I think a lot of, you know, thinking about the listeners out there today and there's people are always afraid of what they don't know or understand, right? <laughs> Back to our default network. Um, a lot, sometimes a lot of this stuff can become, it can come across to people as too esoteric. This is, ah, uh, this energy stuff is, you know, it's a little bit witchcraft. <laughs> it's witchcraft. It's voodoo. It's just energy. Energy. It's, it's just invisible energy. Yeah, right. It's voodoo. It's stuff like that. And I can tell you that, you know, probably earlier in my life, I felt the same way. Um, I'm a spiritual person, so I've ha- I have always had a connection there that's always been my center, which has helped me be able to manage that process. But the, the older I get, the more I'm learning just how it's not about the physical manifestation of the matter that's in our brain, but it's about the energy that's created and then all the chemistry that's happening in our bodies that allow us to either be positive or, or not to create a positive mindset or a fixed mindset that's fixed on the negative. Now, you didn't just show up here a couple of weeks ago and have this dialed in. You've had a pretty interesting life yourself. In fact, one of the stories that really mesmerized me in your book right out of the gate that you've had to overcome with change was what happened to you in California. Can you share that story with your with the audience? So Mind Matter, which is the book I wrote on manifestation, is was a really big, meaningful life event for me because I've been I've been aware of the idea that your thoughts create your reality. Um, the Buddha said, "With our thoughts, we create the world." Um, in the Psalms and the Bible, it says, "As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he." Uh, uh, Gandhi said that with our thoughts we create reality. Um, some of the American transcendentalists, like Thoreau and Emerson, said the same thing. So we've got a lot of smart people for thousands of years telling us this. But I, I, I wrote that book about the link between how we think, how our consciousness is, and what manifests around us. So I just finished this book, and it hadn't gone to the publisher yet, but it was it was nearing completion. And then I was kind of picking up the threads of the rest of my, my business after the book was done. And um, we, my wife and I live in a beautiful area of Northern California. And we had a, a, a property at that point that overlooked a big valley. It was a large property. We had an office, small office building on the property, several outbuildings, as well as our, our home. And um, that, just after finishing Mind to Matter, we were kind of picking up all of the other regular threads of our, 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 our work. And one night my wife woke me up, shook me awake at 12.45 AM and she said, Dawson, something's really wrong. And I kind of woke up, looked at the alarm clock, 12.45 AM, looked out the window, there was a glow on the horizon, walked outside the bedroom, all the lights went out, the power failed, and there was a wildfire racing down the hillside toward our, our house. I just yelled at her, we're getting out of here right now. We literally grabbed the car keys, ran for the car, and drove out through the flames. It was it was intense. Um, we, we wound up going to some friend's house about 30 miles away, getting evacuated from there, having to move further away. And for a few days, we were really in 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 uh, just in in the state of like um, limbo. Didn't what didn't what what to do, where to go. And a lot of people died. Twenty two people died in our neighborhood because it swept through and destroyed five thousand four hundred homes. Many people just died in their beds. They died in their garages because their garage door openers wouldn't work. They lost power. They went back to their homes for pets and possessions and then got consumed in the flames. So it was this this huge big event. 
for for us. And so we, oh, oh, also the next week I was due to be in Vancouver, Canada, lecturing at a conference and doing a, a week-long workshop for therapists on psychological trauma. <laughs> and, you know, after, after a few days, I thought, well, do I stay or do I go? And I thought, you know, this is what I do. I'm, 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 I'm going to go. So I, I just went, I went, I, I did that. I didn't do the whole trip. I cut it short because my wife was not as doing well. I, I needed to come back to take, take care of her. She wasn't as enthusiastic as you going as you were. <laughs> no, she was not. And uh, she, we, we, fortunately, our kids uh, step, stepped up, really took care of us, helped us. And a lot of people helped us through that, that difficult time. And then, late, so, so, so in Bliss Brain, my new book, that's chapter one. I just tell the story of the fire. Because the publisher said, Dawson, you're an expert on psychological trauma. You've written two books on the subject. It's really nice to have you explaining the neurobiology of trauma. But for, for goodness sake, tell your story because you're an example of some recovering and not getting traumatized. So my, my book is all about what's called post-traumatic growth. And for the majority of people, two-thirds of those who have shattering trauma, like their house burning down, like a huge financial crash, like a medical crisis, like a divorce, like the death of a child. I mean, there are all of these things that can happen to traumatize people. And yet over two-thirds of people who go through that actually use trauma for what's called post-traumatic growth. They reap positive life rewards, and they use that as fuel for the transformational journey. So it's important to do that. And what I show in Bliss Brain is you can actually literally make your brain more resilient. And so when you have that crisis, whether it's a financial crisis, marriage crisis, job, career crisis, crisis with children, aging parents, whatever it might be, you are a resilient person. And so my whole focus now is on training people to have not just the pleasant emotional states you get in meditation, but also turn those into lasting psychological traits, hardwiring that creativity, that joy, that resilience into the structure of your brain. You've created post-traumatic growth syndrome, <laughs> right? How do you take that negative and be able to be mindful enough to turn it into the positive? And that leads us right to the other question I was fascinated by, this concept of flow, and you've done a lot of EEG studies on this and identified in different spiritual masters and concert pianists and people that are just at the top of their game with this idea of flow. And it's similar to what you're getting into, but give us a little bit more color around that, that concept. Yeah, so flow is an optimal state. And when you're in that default mode network state, you're obsessing about the past, the bad stuff in the past, the bad stuff that might happen in an imaginary future, and that's the opposite of flow. When you're in flow, you're in the present, and flow is when your brain is functioning optimally, when you're completely absorbed in the task you're doing. I, I remember one of the, the times I really got flow when I, was, when I was a teenager, and I watched the great concert pianist Arthur Rubenstein playing, and I simply stared at him playing for hours watching him play the piano because it was clear he was in flow. Watching a jazz saxophonist in a jazz club and somebody who was totally in flow. Watching athletes, I've now worked with a few athletes and helped them get into these flow states because it turns out we can train people into flow. So watching business people in flow or watching, I, I know I have, to, I, have to, I have to write, for example, scientific papers that are really hard to write. But when I'm in flow, 
I can write them. When I'm not in flow, it's a slog. When I'm exercising, when I'm kayaking or paddleboarding or bike, mountain biking, and I'm in flow, you're just in, this, in the present moment, you're in bliss. And so you want to be in flow as much as possible because in the research I quote in Bliss Brain, you are far more productive, you are far more creative, and your problem-solving ability goes up dramatically. In one study done by DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Agency that looks at advanced mind tools, DARPA, uh, they looked at, at soldiers, warriors in flow. And you can again, we can train people now in flow because there's so much MRI and EEG work on Buddhist monks and Christian, uh, like Franciscan nuns, others who get into flow states in their religious experiences. And it's powerful to be in that, those flow states. And they, they looked at warriors in flow and they gave them really difficult problems to, to solve. And what they found was that they had uh, 490% improvement in their ability to solve complex problems. That's what you and I have in our businesses. That's what our clients have in their businesses. That's what everyone has in their lives. We have complicated problems and the solution is not really not clear. And so the difference between somebody who's really living a good life and someone who's struggling is the ability to solve those complex problems. And so DARPA's study found that it wasn't just that your, your ability to solve those problems increased a lot, like 20%, 50%. It improved almost fivefold. Another study by the McKinsey Organization, this big international consultancy of high performers, 10-year study, found that their ability to be productive get stuff done in their workday, increased by 500% after they were in flow compared to not being in a flow state. So you want to be in flow. And there are two ways in. One way is some kind of physical trigger. And that's usually something like a walk, a run, time in nature, uh, the runner's high, flooding your brain with, with endorphins. There are, there are ways of getting into flow in performance. The second way to get into flow, the one I teach the most reliably, is meditation. Meditation puts you into flow and you literally hook people up to an MRI or an EEG and their whole brain function changes radically when they're in flow. So you want to be in that flow state because it feels good, but you want to be in that flow state because when you come out of flow, you are five times as productive and five times as good at solving complex problems. And... Um, Harvard research by Teresa Amabile shows that that propagates for about 48 hours. So you spend that hour in meditation into the flow state. For two days after that, you are five times as good at complex problems and creativity and productivity. So uh, I, 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 I rest my case, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> my team will recognize this. Um, I, I have, now that you've put the science and the, and the, the name to it, they know what I call the Eureka tank for me is the shower. So when I need to solve a problem or I need a new idea, I actually go take a shower. And I know people are probably laughing right now, but there's something about that for me, whether it's, you know, the, the, the white noise, the, the ability to get out of my analytical network and into my empathic emotional network and activate that flow. Uh, that's where all my create, I tell people I've been doing this for 10 and a half years and almost every great idea I've ever had, I got it in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you yesterday, Jeff, we, we've been wrestling with this problem of how to, uh, in, in my business. So we, we have people who get certified in EFT every year and we have, we have two groups of people spring and the fall. 
And then we have mentors because they mentor these candidates one-on-one -on -one and guide them through becoming, becoming an excellent practitioner. And so we've automated our, all our systems, but we've never been able to automate matching students with mentors. How do you automate that process? Right. And so we literally, my team, we probably talked about this 10 times over the last year, this trying out this idea, trying out that idea. We've never been able to figure out how to automate the process of matching students with mentors. And so just an unsolvable problem we've had for a year. I woke up two days ago. Today is, today is Thursday. I woke up Tuesday morning. I was just coming out of sleep in that alpha state because, you know, again, in, in, in sleep, you're in theta and delta, uh, uh, slow brainwave mode. When you wake up, you go into alpha as your brainwave waves perk up a little bit. So there's that alpha bridge between sleep and wakefulness and boom, a solution to the problem just popped into my mind, fully formed, I had the solution. And that's what happens. That's how you get to be five times as productive when you're in those those states. So they really make a difference in your, your work world. Well, you probably heard a lot of people and even leaders will use this to say, well, you're overthinking something. You're overthinking it. Well, you kind of are, right? When you're not in the flow state and you're trying to use logic and reason to solve a problem that only being unconsciously competent in your flow state can solve, it will, it will it will be painful. Like mentally, it's exhausting when you can't figure that out. And, and is it something to do with the fact that you're overanalyzing using the wrong networks in the brain to try to solve a problem that only being in that lower theta state, brainwave state will solve when you're in your flow? Is that right? It's a really tricky edge to find because we need all of the analytical and cognitive functions of our prefrontal cortex and yet it's our prefrontal cortex and all the thinking we do that keeps us away from flow as well. So without the prefrontal cortex, we couldn't compose music or write or read or do any of the, the things we do in our civilization. So we need those kinds of skills, those cognitive functions. And yet that thinking keeps us out of the flow state. How do you do both? And it's really interesting. I think that there's a pivot from one to the other in our workday. We need to spend some time in that deep meditation. Like when I meditate, I want to be totally in that meditative state. And um, I'm reading research now about people who, who hit these elevated emotional states. And they're, they're usually involved in some kind of experience of oneness with the divine. I have a wonderful um, uh, image in um, my new book, This Brain, Austin Francis of Assisi. And he would at times just completely leave his body. He'd be so captivated by what he felt was this, 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 this oneness with spirit, oneness with God, that he would literally pass, pass out. He'd just be laying there totally zoned out, completely blissed out. Uh, Ramana, Ramana Maharshi, he'd be walking down the street where he lived in India a century and a half ago, and suddenly he'd just freeze. And his body would go rigid. His disciples could pick him up like a log of wood, go walk him back to his house, set him down. Three days later, he'd come out of his trance, totally absorbed in the divine. St. Teresa of Avila, uh, St. John of Cupertino, there are all these people from every religious tradition who move into these states and they, they come back and they say, I saw the face of God. I was, at, I was on the mountaintop. I brought down the Ten Commandments. I, uh, I had the night, Muhammad had the night journey. I mean, there, there are, these, there are these, these, these inspired spiritual figures who describe having these transcendent experiences of bliss. So in Bliss Brain, I got into that because I said, how, what can we, can we learn from these people? Are these allegories? Are these just 
fun stories? Uh, are these just religious uh, myths or is there a reality there? And there is a measurable brain reality there. There's a measurable biochemical reality there. And now that we've reverse engineered these using MRIs, EEGs, we can train people to get their quick. Like I did, I did a retreat with about 40 people over New Year's where we guide them into finding their purpose for the coming year. And um, we had them all hooked up to EEGs the first day and the last day, the seven days apart, we have data on them. And the first day, we could help them induce that state, but it took <clears throat> 10, 15 minutes. By day seven, they were there in under four minutes. All of them were there in under four minutes. One woman was there in 47 seconds. Closed her eyes, meditate. 47 seconds later, boom, she's having a full-on mystical experience. How do we catalyze these so we can have these experiences every day and then move into our day as productive people? And that's why I love the science here, showing us how we can do this. You don't need an EEG, you just have to do what those people we've studied do. And then it shows, it produces these changes in your brain, your brain starts rewiring them, they become resilient, they go from being states, temporary states, permanent traits, and suddenly your whole life shifts. Oh, that's good right there. Temporary states to permanent traits. I like that. <clears throat> you should put that in one of your books. I'm sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> so as we, as we start to land a plane here, all right, so here's what I found is and knowing people who were either prayer warriors or deep meditators, at some point they were able to figure out how to go from, they start to go into deep prayer or meditation. And then for those of us who are amateurs at this, what happens? That, that self-preservation part of our brain, right, kicks in and just starts distracting us all over the place. Um, so and I'm going to give the, the listeners some resources here in a second, but give us a couple of really easy, we talked about breathing, but give us a couple of secrets. Give us a couple secret nuggets that say when you go, in order for you to get to that state, start on focusing on your breathing, but here's one more thing that you're going to come into contact with that you're going to want to be able to manage through. Yeah, and so um, if at all possible, catch it early. Brain researcher Joseph Ledoux says it takes half a second to move into negative thinking. Uh, another study by, by Dan Siegel at UCLA says a second that the research is, is, shows that we move into these negative states that quickly and getting out of them can be almost impossible. So the quicker you can interrupt yourself, the better. Um, I, I remember one time when I was going through, um, generally speaking, I, I, I've had just amazingly wonderful pe people in my life and my team and, and people around me and friends and colleagues, and I just feel so blessed. But, but twice in my life, I've had people who really uh, kind of weren't nice people, and I didn't know it. And I got, I got, uh, I had very, very bad experiences. And so, um, one, one of these people, I'll just call her Jill. Um, after I'd been injured by Jill, this is this goes back like twenty years ago. Before I didn't even, I didn't even know these techniques back then. But um, I was thinking, I was very angry at Jill. I think about Jill and the injury she caused me and how unfair it had been over and over and over again. I was, I was just trapped in that worrying about the tiger, tiger cycle. So again, perfectly good for my ancestor 100,000 years ago. So 100,000 year old year ago, Dawson, thinking about the tiger, Mother Nature saying, great, is obsessing about Jill, obsessing about the tiger. This is wonderful. Let's keep on doing this. Of course, it's driving me crazy. There is no tiger. Jill isn't a tiger. And so I just decided that every time I began thinking about 
before I even had the chance to say ill, the last half of her name, when I began to say Jill, I decided to think about a saint. And at that time, I was just thinking about Mother Mary. So I would just say, Mother Mary. And so every single time, thousands of times a day, I was about to say Jill, I instead said Mother Mary. Now that may, might resonate with you if you're in the Christian faith. Maybe if you're a Buddhist, you may want to think about Gautama. If you're a Hindu, you may want to think about Krishna. If you're a Taoist, think about some other saint that is is useful to you. I'm not saying it's it, it's 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 religion or spirituality based. It can be a, a, a favorite uh, icon from history or an archetype. I know one of my African-American women friends, it's Martin Luther King. She just thinks about Martin Luther King. And that's, he's his her icon, his her touchstone. And so if you can interrupt it quickly, like before you say the whole name Jill, and you can then start to shift it into a positive cadence, then if you catch it quickly, you can then not be building all that negative wiring in your brain. And, and again, those negative pathways are built up in Gene in Your Genes. I show that you are doubling the number of synapses in those neural pathways in one hour of signaling. If I'm thinking Jill, 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 Jill for an hour, I've got double the number of synapses along the Jill neural pathway. Now I can activate that pathway more and quicker. So you want to be catching yourself early. So breathing, number one, catching yourself early, number two. Number three is, I teach this in, as part of my meditation technique, is relax your tongue on the floor of your mouth. Because there's a nerve going through the root of your tongue called the hypoglossal nerve that hooks up to the vagus nerve back here. And then the vagus nerve just wanders all over the body. And it's the main nerve of your parasympathetic nervous system, your relaxation system. So if you relax your tongue, you can't get upset, you can't get angry. In my workshops, if the, when I do live workshops, if I ever do live workshops again, <laughs> um, I, I sit and tell people, think about Jill, think about somebody who really pisses you off. Now, relax your tongue on the floor of your mouth and try and get pissed off at Jill. And everyone starts laughing. They can't get pissed off at anyone in their lives if their tongue's relaxed because it's sending a mechanical physiological signal of, of relaxation throughout the body, throughout the vagus nerve. In Mind to Matter, I list 30 of these simple physiological techniques. And some of them are, are more elaborate, but others are, are just that simple. So Wow, that's really good stuff. So just in summarizing the tips we got today, then I want you to point people to where they can get more information. Um, so focus on your breathing. And I know this is really, really important for people, those, those deep, mindful, long breaths, inhale, exhale. Think about taking that immediate negative thought and positioning it to a positive thought. Now, again, it might take you a little while to yo-yo. You might go, Jill, Mary, Jill, Mary, Jill, Mary, Jill, Mary, Jill, Mary. <laughs> but eventually, right, you'll get Jill, Mary, Jill, Mary, right? Eventually, you'll be able to train your brain to, to repeat, to, to create that new neural pathway. And then relaxing the tongue relaxes that, that vagal parasympathetic pathway that triggers typically that self-preservation. This is relaxing it causing it to, that's really, really helpful and practical. So you've got uh, some gifts you'd like to give the audience. Where, where can they go find some of those? Go to my website, Dawson, it's my name, D-A-W-S-O-N, DawsonGift.com. And I want you to go there and I want you to put in your name and an email address. And I want you to look at the very first, uh, there are about 20 gifts there. There's a superfood smoothie that my wife makes. And there is a link to the Veterans Stress Project. We treat veterans with PTSD free of charge. There are all kinds of, of useful links there, the EFT mini manual. 
But number one, I just put that up there a few weeks back, is we did some research in 2017, published in 2019, and it showed that when you do the two things I advocate most, which are meditation, a particular kind of meditation, and also EFT tapping, which is tapping on acupressure points, which I mentioned earlier as well, that your levels of this substance called salivary immunoglobulin A, or SIG-A, your level of salivary immunoglobulin A goes up, your cortisol goes down, your immunoglobulin goes up, and immunoglobulins are the body's main antibodies for counteracting the effects of coronaviruses. And coronaviruses have these spikes called glycoproteins on the surface attached to your cells, but these antibodies dock with those glycoproteins and immobilize them. And we found in one study that people doing this for a weekend, just 48 hours, had a 27% rise in the, that level of immunoglobulin antibodies. So it's really worth doing this. So there's, a, there's an immunity meditation, very top thing at DawsonGift.com. And I strongly recommend that in these times when people need, need high immunity, that you go and use that meditation. It is powerful, it is free. And again, there are two studies showing that it quickly and dramatically raises your levels of, of immunity antibodies. So that's the top thing at DawsonGift.com. Wow, that's very, very generous of you. Thank you. Maybe we could send some of this to President Trump because he could, then he'll, <laughs> well, he'll talk less and meditate more and it'll be curing the coronavirus. That's probably, uh, I was probably off the reservation with that comment, but my, my, my audience knows I love him. So, no, really. I mean, I, I look at the guy's face, Jeff, and I, I mean, my heart so goes out to President Trump because. You look at his face, that guy is suffering yeah. so much. I mean, the lines of sorrow and anger Stress and bitterness and, yeah. on his face, it, it just, it just, you know, like I, I hold him in my in my compassion every day. It's got to be hard to be someone yeah, like that. I can only imagine. So a couple other things I want to point the audience to. If they want more information about you personally, then go to DawsonChurch.com. Um, grab your the genie in your genes. Go back and grab Mind to Matter. And both of those, your genius gene.com and mindtomatter.com. And then, of course, next month is Bliss Brain is coming out. So you can pre-order it at blissbrain.com right now. Is that correct? Yes. That's fantastic. All right. And uh, I, I just, first of all, want to thank you for all the time you've extended myself and our audience today. I know I learned a lot and I'm excited to start to put into practice some of these things to see if I can get in the flow more frequent Watch out, team. My team out there, because they know when I get in the flow, it's going to be a lot to do around here <laughs> with new ideas. So thank you again very much for being our guest on the Driving Change Podcast. We hope to have you back sometime. Would you be willing to come back sometime? Oh, I'd love to, Jeff. Thank you. I'd be honored. Excellent. Perfect. Well, have a great day and good luck and best of luck on the, on the book launch. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Bye now. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.